You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All strangely quiet on the Seahawks front right now, two days after the season wrapped up. 9-8 and eight record, no playoff appearance uh, for Pete Carroll and company. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano, still making his way back from Houston. I'll be back uh, on the show tomorrow. But want to get a Seahawks update, at least where things stand right now, from our good friend Bob Condota, who covers the Seahawks for the Seattle Times, joining us on the line right now. Bob, thanks for making time. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into the Seahawks in a moment. I know you're have a background covering Husky football as well, uh, and we we uh, we talk a little uh, dogs with you from time to time. Uh, what'd you make of that season, Bob? And and obviously the way that it finished uh, in a little bit of a disappointing fashion for for Husky fans last night. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, people may be, they may be aware I covered the team for 16 years. I had some good years at the beginning, but then a lot of weird ones <laughs> in the mid. Covered the you know the entire uh, Tyrone Willingham and. Uh, the Keith Gilbertson tenure, uh, you know, that kind of led to Tyrone and kind of all of that, the 1-10 and 12 season. So, um, you know, you always knew Washington had it in them to have a season like this to get to the national title. I mean, it's a very well-supported program that has, has a rich history. And, um, you know, when they've had when they've had competent coaching, you know, they've always been one of the better teams, obviously, in the West Coast and, and in the nation when things really break right. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not stunned that they would, that they would be able to do something like, like get to the national title game, but, uh, um, you know, that was, uh, that was a, a real interesting matchup, obviously, of a, of a Michigan team that just kind of, you know, kind of grounded poundish and versus a, a Washington team that, that, uh, that kind of preferred to do it a, a little bit of a different way. And they had, uh, you know, made that work for, for most of the season when they'd faced some other teams that, that maybe uh, tried to challenge them in that way. But uh, last night, I think that just caught up to them. You know, I think it was just a game where Michigan just had a bit more in the trenches on each side of the ball. Have you come to terms with, or does it make sense in your head, the Big Ten move with UW, Oregon, USC, UCLA, given your uh, your your long background of, of covering this uh, this program? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, I mean, I grew up as a kid, you know, in the state of Washington, so going to games and and all of that. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely weird just at the Pac-10, you know, Pac. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the Pac-8, but the Pac-8 to the Pac-10 to the Pac-12. Um, that it's just not going to exist as we've known it anymore. Uh, you know, I, I loved the old days of, of uh, you know, that they were all just kind of fighting for the Rose Bowl, and that was the ultimate goal, and they you know, get to January 1 and, and all of that. Uh, you know, that was a lot of fun for a lot of years. So it's bizarre thinking that that, that doesn't exist anymore either, not just for football, obviously, but for basketball and, and all that. It's just going to be a, a whole brave new world, and it's sort of hard to know how it's all going to how it's all going to feel when that when, when that happens. I think probably like a lot of people, you know, it's it's probably really not going to not going to hit you until until the spring. Really, uh, you know, when it comes to football and teams start getting back on the field for spring football, and you know, all you're talking about is is uh, teams playing. Um, you know, you're not you're not kind of you know you're not kind of making Pac-12 you know predictions anymore. You're you're uh, you're kind of making all these other ones. So it, it, it's definitely kind of weird. Bob Condota, Seattle Times, uh, covering the Seahawks. Uh, Bob, and as you know, uh, you know I like rooting for this team, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, has Pete Carroll given his end-of-season press conference yet? And uh, if not, when is he going to do that? Yeah, they haven't scheduled it yet. Um, you know, the word we got yesterday was they didn't want to do it until everybody, all the media got back from Houston. Um, you know, especially a lot of the TV media and TV media that the Seahawks have, uh, you know, deals with in town had a lot of people down there. So I think, and 
Pete tends to do a lot of, uh, you know, it's not just the big thing they do with us, but, you know, because they, this is kind of the last time they typically talk for a lot, he, he, he sometimes will do interviews, but, you know, separate interviews that you'll kind of see maybe maybe later, depending on when they want to do them, but with a lot of the sort of the paying, you know, the media that they have deals with, uh, 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 kind of partnership is what I look for, partnerships with and stuff. So it's not simply just the thing he does with us, but, uh, you know, kind of kind of a bunch of stuff there. So, um, you know, that, that's what we were told yesterday was they were just kind of waiting for that. And it's and they've waited sometimes, uh, you know, for a few days in there. Obviously, I, you know, I think they're meeting with, uh, with, with the assistant coaches and stuff like that to get a plan for the future as well. And sometimes he likes to maybe have a firmer view of exactly what they might be doing before he talks to us also. It's another nine and eight season, but it definitely feels uh, a lot different given expectations and um, obviously not going to the playoffs. Uh, where does this team stand now compared to where they were a season ago in your mind, Bob? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I, I think uh, you're right. I mean, and basically they, they almost kind of had the same season in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, started out six and three, then kind of made it to the finish. Had to win on the last day to try to get into the playoffs. Last year it worked out. This year it didn't. Um, but last year, uh, you know, perception, uh, perception and expectation can sort of be everything. And last year, people thought they were going to be a three or four win team, and so winning nine seemed like this huge, you know, this huge step in the right direction. And you certainly hope they could build on that this year. And they they weren't able to do it one loss wise, and, and certainly on the field as well. So you know, just you kind of look at their numbers, and it's almost hard to hard to fathom they went nine and eight when you look at the point differential and where they ranked and in defense in particular. Um, you know, they they kind of had to pull some games out of the, you know, the rabbit out of the hat there with all those last-minute comebacks that they had. And, it's, you know, if you just don't have a couple of those, um, you know, the season looks a lot more different, a lot different kind of in the negative. Uh, you know, conversely, they're, they're, you know, what you heard Pete say, especially yesterday on his radio show, was turn a couple of those the other way, and then it looks a lot different that way. And maybe you get your 10 or 11 wins team and you're in the playoffs. So, um, you know, there's an awful lot of teams like that, sort of that middle, that middle pack of the NFL that, um, you know, so the Cincinnati's of the world, you didn't make the playoffs either. And, uh, you know, some teams like that, that, uh, you know, they just, everybody looks back on a couple of games here or there that could really change the perception of the year. But, but I would agree in general, I think everybody thought, you know, hope this would be a team that could get to 10 or 11 wins and maybe, and maybe be able to do it in a little bit more of a dominant fashion. But, you know, they had some other issues. They, they, they sort of had some more injuries this year, especially on the offensive line and things like that than they had last year. Um, that I think played that I think played into that, um, you know, and, with, and just for games here and there, but with with guys like Jordan Brooks and Reek Woolen and guys like that, he got banged up at times. It just, you know, it felt it felt like a harder year to kind of put the same team out there from week to week to week, and uh, I think that caught up to him at times as well. Bob Condotto, Seattle Times, joining us on the Bald Face Truth. Um, you know, you've covered Pete Carroll for for a while here, and public facing. He's an optimist and will spin things forward and positive. What do you think his conversations are like right now behind closed doors uh, privately? What, what do you think is really going on in terms of, you know, the uh, the self-realization of the season and any potential changes um, that need to be made? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think he's happy that they're 9-8. and eight. You know, I think, that, I mean, the goal obviously is to get in the playoffs and, you know, that's really the goal is just get in, get in, you know, because then anything can happen. I think they really felt like that this year. I mean, I mean, you look, they beat Detroit on the road. They beat Philadelphia. They were, they, they were, you know, at the 50 yard line with a chance to beat Dallas. Um, you know, other than San Francisco, they played, uh, they played basically every good team in the NFC and felt like they were right there with all of them. So I think they felt like if they got in and got, got some breaks that they could make a run, um, you know, so they are going to try to 
figure out how to do that. So, uh, you know, I would I would say that I don't think Pete thinks it's as dire as, as fans might, just because I think that's you know I think he's pretty pragmatic that way about how how close you know in a lot of ways everybody is in the NFL, and that it can just be you know a thing a, a move or two here or there that can really help you and kind of put you over the top and make things a lot better. But uh, you know, conversely, he's very very competitive, and you know he's not gonna he, he's not gonna want to just you know stay static and not try to do the things that uh, can, can, can make it work. Um, you know, the last two times they didn't make the playoffs, they got rid of one or both coordinators. So, um, you know, if you're just kind of going off, off that precedent, certainly there could be some moves. When people talk about Geno Smith, I, I, you know, I, I like Geno and I don't think he's on the short list of, um, you know, capital P problems uh, for the Seahawks. What do you make of all the conversation around Geno Smith compared to what Pete Carroll says? And I believe you know, truly believes about Geno Smith and him being the quarterback of 2024 and potentially longer for the Seahawks. Yeah, I, I just think it's inevitable. It's just it's just the position. I mean, people always just sort of put it to quarterback first. It's kind of the most obvious thing you see in every game. And, you know, if that pass, that pass doesn't get completed, you just inevitably kind of point to the quarterback and blame him. Um, I, I, I think by obviously his raw numbers this year were not what they were last year. I mean, he's far below the numbers and, um, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of touchdowns. And some of that's because he missed a few games too. Last year he played every single snap. So uh, if you look at any totals, they're, they're inevitably going to be down because he missed a few games, but, uh, but, you know, even the percentages and the, and the, and the, passer rating and stuff like that were all a little bit lower this year. But, uh, you know, how much of that is on Gino or the fact that, you know, they didn't – their running game was a lot worse. So, you know, the whole thing of uh, depending on how much you believe that the running game helped, helped set up things for a quarterback, uh, you know, they didn't have that to the same degree last year that they had last year. And they certainly had hoped this year that would be better. Um, and, again, the offensive line really, you, you know, they, they – they had so many different combinations on the offensive line this year compared to last year. And so, uh, you know, I think there were some games where that really caught up to them too. So um, the only thing I, I would look at with Geno Smith is simply, um, you know, his age and that if, if you're looking to draft a quarterback or something like that, I think you can do that and have it not necessarily be any kind of a kind of a, um, a referendum on Geno and what you think about him, but just more that for the good of the franchise for the long term, you know, if there's somebody really falls to you at 16, that that would make sense to do. But I think, I think for the short term, I don't think there's any question that Geno Smith is, um, you know, he's a, he's a more than good enough quarterback to, to get to to where you want to go. Um, but, you know, again, I think 63 quarterbacks started games in the NFL this year. I mean, injuries happen. And, um, you know, if they, if they made a move to, to add a young quarterback in particular, that would not surprise me at all. The short conversation defensively with them is uh, they allocated more finances to that side of the ball, and it still struggled. Bob, uh, what can they do this offseason to fix it? Yeah, well, try to do more of that. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with some of the veterans they have. Obviously, everybody's been an awful lot of talk about Jamal Adams and his future. And, and you know, depending on what you could do there, you could maybe free up some money there to, to go in a different direction with that. Um, uh, you know, Quandre Diggs is another pretty highly paid veteran that, uh, you know, who knows for sure if he'll be back. And, and maybe that would free up some room for you as well, uh, cap-wise. Uh, but, you know, they will have the 16th pick, um, and, you know, maybe they can do something with that. Um, we'll see if they can resign Leonard Williams, but I would think that would be a real key. I think he played really well for them down the stretch, and, um, you know, I think you could try to run it back with that defensive line if if, uh, if you could resign Leonard, and uh, um, obviously with Draymond Jones, and I think, you know, they made some – they kind of 
shifted, you know, what they were doing with Draymond about halfway through the season and were playing him more as an end. And I think if they could, if they, you know, they can kind of take that group and have it together for a full year at a training camp and I think maybe become a little bit better up front with, with adding some guys as well, inevitably. And, uh, um, you know, but they are going to have some, you know, uh, linebacker is a huge question. Bobby Wagner can be, it was only on a one-year contract. Uh, Jordan Brooks can be a free agent, so they're going to have to figure out something there. Um, you know, the quarterback, they should be really good, you know, with Witherspoon, hopefully Tariq Wollin would have um, maybe a little bit more of a, of a consistent season uh, if he has an off. You know, he really just didn't, because of the knee injury, he didn't do anything in the offseason. You know, he wasn't there for the off, He wasn't on the field for the offseason program. He wasn't on the field for training camp, essentially. Um, and I think that caught up to him a little bit. I think as a second-year player, I think he's a guy who still needs all those kind of snaps and reps. But I think there's some things like that um, that, that could help him with that. But they are going to have some questions with um, you know, with what they guys they some highly paid guys they have and some high cap hits and and what direction they want to go with some of that. Would a change at defensive coordinator surprise you? No, I mean nothing surprises me. I, I just my view on coordinators is always it's, it's, it's again it's the easy knee jerk just change that guy. You know they they've changed their coordinators now three times since 2017. So you know, is it the coordinator? Is it what they're doing? I, that would be the one thing I would say with Pete is I think that's what he's got to figure out is exactly what is it that you, you want to do. They made, you know, when they hired Clint Hurt two years ago, um, to be really fair to Clint, you know, they changed a lot. They, they, they you know, they really changed what they do schematically. They brought in two other coordinator, uh, two other assistants who they gave a lot of responsibility to and Sean Desai and Carl Scott and really changed a lot of things they were doing in the back end. Um, and, you know, it was, it, uh, it was a lot of what they did was, was very, you know, kind of unpeat like and not at all what they had done during a lot of the glory days. So, um, you know, I think that falls a little bit more on Pete to just figure out exactly what they what they want to do that way. I, I I just think it's it's way too easy to just blame uh, to blame Clint Hurt for stuff because I I think there was that was a real kind of overall philosophical changes they made with some of the stuff they do there, and I do think that's something Pete's got to kind of figure out is you know is that is, is he happy with that? Do you want to go with that route? Um, and if you want to go with that route, do you maybe you know, if you do want to make a change of coordinator, um, you know, are you just going to, again, kind of change your scheme and and, go, and and try to do all that? Or do you kind of try to keep what you've been doing scheme-wise with the players that you have and try to and try to hope that maybe continuity and all of that would help? A couple last things with Bob Condota, Seattle Times. You cover all these teams because you, you see them uh, come through Lumen or the Seahawks going on the road. What do you make of the NFC playoff picture uh, start there, and then you can offer your AFC thoughts too. Who do you think comes out on top? Are, are we destined for the rival Niners back in the Super Bowl again, or do you see any real threat to them? No, I think I think they're by far the best team in the NFC, and especially you know saying that as having covered the Seahawks, it, it was funny. I was adding up today, you know, when you talked about the Seahawks season, you know, they got blown out kind of four times, but three times they really just got blown out and it was by the by the two number one seeds you know they got they got beat really bad by the 49ers both times and, and just completely hammered by Baltimore back there and so it was impossible not to watch those games and just think that these are the two best teams two best teams around um you know the 49ers obviously last year was just you know the quarterback situation and being healthy otherwise I think they would have you know I think they would have uh, probably won the Super Bowl if they'd have been able to do that um you know so I they're by far my, my pick to come out of the NFC just again you know as long as they can keep people healthy but you know they kind of tried to cover themselves with that this year with with Sam Darnold and everything so um they should be in a little better position that way to to manage that uh you know the AFC team's a little bit more competitive just because I think from top to bottom I think the AFC was a little bit better this year than 
in the NFC, so I think that the, the AFC playoff picture could be a little bit more more prone to some upsets there, maybe a team that could knock off Baltimore. But Baltimore sure has looked good. You know, when they've it, it, it seemed like this year when they thought something was a big game, like when they played San Francisco, they really brought it and played really well. And uh, you know, when you watch some of the games they've played like that, it's, it's really hard not to say they're the best team in the AFC as well. So. Uh, you know, and the way the playoff structure is anymore with the, the you know, number one seed getting the buy in the first round and the home games the rest of the way, um, you know, that's the kind of thing obviously that allows you to get a little more, a little healthier and, and fresher and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I know that's kind of the boring thing to just pick the two one seeds, but uh, I think that's to save money right now. And last thing for you, you know, when we talk Pete Carroll and his future, um, it, you know, it's a hard thing to imagine him getting fired um, uh, by anybody, especially this uh, ownership group uh, with, with Jody Allen, Vulcan, and all that. We talk about him uh, a decent amount down here, obviously, with the Blazer ties. And the conversation down here is, is I'm gathering it's d- different than the conversation up there around the Seahawks. But what's the latest that you know or, or the read down there and the conversations down there about um, Jody and, and you know what kind of decision-making she might have the appetite for or just the future of the ownership in general with the Seahawks and the overall direction with that? I guess I'm trying to figure out what the – what do you mean, like, is she going to sell the team tomorrow? Or, yeah, or right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, as I've written, I, you know, I wrote about this a little bit today. Um, you know, there's the clause in, in, the, in the sale agreement with – it's not really the sale agreement, but when Paul Allen had the, had the stadium built here, the clause where he has to – he would have to – if he sold the team before May of 2024, he would have to give back 10% of the gross price to the city – to, uh, to the government and essentially to the stadium district, um, and that was per the, some of the agreements they made when they got the public money to build the stadium. Um, so everybody is pointing to that as a logical time when if she were looking to sell the team, that's when she would do it. Um, Pete's contract, is, as was revealed this weekend, um, the team announced it in 2020 as going through the 2025 season, but it apparently actually only goes through 2024 with an option for 25. Um, and so that makes more sense if, if you want to kind of buy the idea that if Jody were to look into selling the team, that she would start to do that uh, after the passage of that May date. And, you know, so that if you're a prospective buyer of the team, you know, she could sort of point to here, you've got, you've got a coach under contract, but it's also not such a prohibitive situation that if you want to go a different direction, you could do that. Uh, coaching contracts in the NFL are, you know, tend to be guaranteed, and Pete's thought to make about $15 million a year. So, um, you know, that would be that would be money that if you were selling the team, a, a, you know, a new owner wouldn't have to deal with, and, and they could and they could figure out what they want to do for the future. So, um, yeah, Jody has been, you know, very silent, a, a very silent chair, as I know you guys know down there as well. And, you know, we don't, I, I've never talked to her. So, um, you know, I, I can't say I know what she's thinking, and I don't know how many people do know what she, what she would be thinking. But, um, you know, there hasn't been any rumbling that she's looking to sell the team anytime soon. But conversely, again, that May 2024 date makes a lot of sense for why you wouldn't have heard anything until now. So I think it, it, it's sort of what happens after that that becomes much more of a kind of much more of the curiosity. That's good stuff. Uh, we'll read you at the Seattle Times, Bob, and follow you on Twitter at B Condota. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for making it. Sure. All right. Thanks there. a lot. Talk to you later. Bob Condota covers the Seahawks for the Seattle Times. That's an interesting, you know, timeline reminder. Um, on the potential sale of the Seahawks, and eventually it seems imminent. Different ownership groups for your Trailblazers and the Seahawks up north. Um, that's at least how it, I'm reading it right now and would uh, potentially get the biggest sale 
<laughs> I think for for both for any prospective uh, ownership group. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more NFL. Replay some of the audio from John Cazano's appearance in hour one, plus Zachary Neal, USA Today, in the final hour. Chew Danubi and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazano here on the Bold Face Truth.